2: Hello there, I'm Dick Chevron. I've been in the music business 42 glorious years, and I've worked with some of the biggest names in the business. In my upcoming 12-part radio series, Dick Chevron's Wall of Sound, conversations with the founding fathers and stepmothers of rock I'll be chatting with the men and women who founded some of the biggest bands in the world. Just listen to some of these names. Eddie Van Halen.
3: John Bon Jovi.
2: Kip Winger.
3: Edgar Flock of Seagulls.
2: Fred Foreigner. Jeff
3: Pink Floyd.
2: Jim Shins. Abdul
3: ACDC.
2: Kyle Megadeth.
3: Carol Steely Dan. Louis
2: J. Sex Pistols.
3: Mike, Peter, Paul, and Mary.
2: Billy Billy Joel. Duran
3: Duran Duran Duran.
2: These are the pioneers of rock and roll who lent not only their name, but also their talent and will forever be remembered in the annals of rock. Hey, guess who else is stopping by?
3: Ronnie James Dio.
2: Harold and Janet Eurythmics.
3: Dennis Aerosmith.
2: Diane the Bangles.
3: Dr. Klaus Led Zeppelin.
2: Jana Banana Rama.
3: Bill Crosby, Stills Nash & Young.
2: And Mr. Carl, Mr. Mister. Tune in to Dick Chevron's Wall of Sound with me, Dick Chevron, every Saturday night after Dick Clark's Wall of Meat, and the show I've been listening to since my blackout years in the 70s. It's it's right! Right!
1: Show Carla Soundgarden called fantastic. Tonight's champagne expert Roland Soules, Art of Nonconformity author Chris Gillibo, and musical guest Viva Voce. That's tonight on Live Wire Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Courtney Hommeister. And you will also have comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight, wherein Scott sits in our audience and in just one hour, the time it took Kurt Vonnegut to smoke approximately 120 cigarettes, he writes a poem that encompasses all of the lessons he's learned during the show. And of course, music from our house band, The Mutton Chops. (laughs) Thank you jim actually uh ralph huntley uh has tonight off and our house band is being manned by jim brunberg who's a member of our house band and one of the producers of the show thanks jim (laughs) so as i mentioned earlier we are having uh roland souls on the show roland is gonna his mom's here And he's going to tell us about the origins of Champagne, 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 is the way that I believe it's pronounced. What to look for when buying it and demonstrate the different sounds made when you disgorge a bottle, including a method that involves a sword. And then we will have to drink it because we're not wasteful here. And we'll also have Chris Gillibo on the show, who wrote a book called The Art of Nonconformity. And it's all about the ways he's discovered to live the exact life he wants to uh, and do the exact work that he wants to do, even in this economy. And that got me thinking about where I stand on the scale of nonconformity. And I'm actually a recovering conformist. Uh, that is to say... I think I'll always be a conformist in one way or another, but I am, I'm working on it all the time. I'm going to meetings. I'm working the steps, which I take at the exact same time as the other recovering nonconformists or conformists. I don't think that the pressure to conform really hit until middle school. I remember being a willing kindergartner. Walking out of the house in my bell bottom jeans and the, with the gingham cuffs and my stars and stripe halter top and my buck teeth, you could drive another person with buck teeth through, and I didn't give a hoot what anybody thought. I looked fabulous. And then in elementary school, you were fine as as long as you had a Dr. Pepper flavored Bonnie Bell lip smacker, and your hair was feathered so that you could fit at least two fingers into the hair tube the feather created, you were fine. But then in sixth grade, that's where things went south, maybe because we moved to the south. At at my middle school in San Antonio, Texas, all the girls would actually call each other if we were thinking about wearing a dress that day, because we didn't want to be the only one wearing a dress. There was essentially an, I just got a new dress at Marshall's, help me out here, emergency phone tree. And shopping for school supplies was a nightmare. We didn't have cell phones back then, so we couldn't call to see if, if, if it was Peachy's or Trapper Keeper's this year. And if you showed up on the first day of school with the wrong one, you might as well have been wearing a concert t-shirt from last year's KISS tour. Oh, lick it up. Yeah, that was a great tour two years ago. Um, But I believe that I come to my conformist ways naturally. My father was a West Pointer. He followed all the rules in almost every aspect of his life. His one crazy vice was going to Vegas every couple of years and counting cards. Uh, Thankfully, he was absolutely awful at it, so he never got caught (laughs) because he didn't win. And uh, my mother began her life following the rules. My grandmother tells the story of getting a letter from her while she was training to become a United stewardess in the early 60s. It was from New York City, and it said, Oh, Mom, there just aren't any good girls here at stew school. (laughs) Although I should say that she inadvertently became part of the 60s drug culture when United sent her to a doctor who prescribed her speed when she gained five pounds. But then, when the 70s hit, she found her voice. She went to school for about 10 to 15 years, and she had a series of interesting jobs leading up to a job Chris Gillibo would be proud of. She's now her own boss. She sells vintage clothing of, uh, out of her own shop space. And it's the perfect job that converges three things she loves. She loves to shop. She loves to iron clothes, because she's kind of a freak in that way. And she loves interacting with the public, because she's kind of a freak in that way. She's a 100-pound Energizer bunny, really, and unlike any mother I know, so I do have a good role model when it comes to nonconformity. I just need to exercise my own a little bit more. When I finally grew up, I started my real professional life as an advertising writer, which is all I thought I wanted to be until I realized that I could actually care about the things that I wrote. (laughs) And then when the opportunity for massive public radio fame came about, I had to decide, do I want to be comfortable or do I want to love what I do? Advertising was a fun job, and that's where my friends were, and I knew all the rules, so I never feared showing up with uncool office supplies on Monday. So now, I'm not my own boss, but I act like I am. And I'm not comfortable either. I was discouraged to discover that independent public radio pays approximately .003 of what advertising does. <laughs> so I found new things to do with ramen, add broccoli, it's festive. Uh, LAUGHTER And uh, being creative for a living means being comfortable with discomfort. So I may not be comfortable, but I'm happier. I still think about what other people think every single day, but I can't tell you how proud I am of the fact that I can't find my job on the pull-down menu when I'm taking an online survey. (laughs) My entire field is missing. (laughs) Pretty proud of that. I wish my father was around to see it, not me. Taking surveys on the internet, but me working the steps at the recovering conformist meetings, steadily trying to find my own stride. Our music tonight uh, features the atmospheric, sultry melodies of Viva Voce. They're a husband and wife team that started the band in their hometown of Muscle Shoals, Alabama, in 1998. (laughs) They both play multiple instruments on their records, but if you see them live, Viva Voce is Anita Robinson on lead guitar and vocals, and Kevin Robinson manning the drums, and sometimes acoustic guitar at the same time. Guitar World calls their live sound surprisingly fat and ballsy for just two players. (laughs) The last time Livewire listeners heard them, they were playing with their side project Blue Giant with the Decemberist Chris Funk two years ago, and we are so glad to have them back. Please welcome Viva Voce to Livewire. Viva Voce Welcome to the show you guys
2: Thanks for having us back
1: Now you have a new record out called The Future Will Destroy You But I've actually read that you think of that as a, as a positive thing
4: Can you explain that? Well, Kevin sees it as positive. I see it as more realistic, I guess. Just sort of I was venting a little of my angst and apprehension I was feeling about. Things like people writing things that are going to affect you 20 years down the road. You have no idea what it is. Or technology and, and that kind of thing. The dark, seedy underbelly of things like that.
2: We're certainly headed down a road that you know bears warning, but it's meant to be a gentle one with tongue firmly in cheek, mm-hmm. as most of our records are. So,
1: so you, you think you specifically are headed down a frightening road, or we as people
4: <laughs> are headed down a
1: frightening road? They're two very different messages.
4: <laughs> it was a moody period of lyric writing, that's all I can say.
1: Well, I when I when I read that you thought that it was that it was a positive thing, I felt like maybe you were talking about in you know, in some cases it's it's great to actually destroy parts of yourself or just destroy everything and start again, you know.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes a good bit of inner strength to be able to reboot, you know, to yeah. start from scratch, but it the future doesn't have to destroy us. I mean, it's what we make it today, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you guys are, you're both from Muscle Shoals, and um, Anita, you actually grew up, your family owned a record store in Muscle Shoals when you were a kid. Well,
4: we did a lot of things that were musical. We, my dad would have a guitar repair shop for a while, or he would DJ at the local radio station for a while. It usually always involved music, and uh, it was a a family affair, and so that seems natural to me, and that's sort of the way we look at our livelihood and our life as well. Right, right, well, and, and you're married, or yeah. together, you're yeah. a couple. We are married. Yeah,
1: so it is a family affair, the band is a family affair. When you're writing songs, do you ever send each other sort of passive-aggressive messages lyrically, like, hey, you know, I just, I just wrote this song, uh, it's called, Why Don't You Ever Take the Garbage Out? <laughs> I just did it last week, and uh, it's... It's not rocket science, that's the chorus.
2: That's actually how... Rocket
1: science. <laughs> <laughs> Does that ever happen?
2: That's how they all happen, yeah, every one of them. All the choruses, the good choruses happen that way. <laughs> right. Or if someone forgot to take the dog out or whatever, it becomes, sure. a, it becomes a chorus that is laughed at at first and then maniacalized and then, hey, that's a good melody and next thing you know.
1: <laughs> next thing you know, there's a, there's a song about not taking See, the dog out. See, I
2: meant to not take the dog out so that we could write good songs. <laughs>
1: Well, you do. I mean, you kind of have to maybe, you know, start start some problems, you know, so that your songwriting will be more interesting. Well, I,
3: we don't yeah, sometimes I feel
4: like, sometimes I feel like that, uh, you know, we need to have a little more mystique and not, and not so much obvious domestic bliss. Because this or is kind otherwise. of what you see is what you get. So we do what we can. We try to be as real as we can.
1: Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, and the record is The Future Will Destroy You, and uh, you're going to sing a second song for us later in the show. Thanks so much for being here. Viva Voce! Thank you. tonight is brought to you by dave's killer bread and the bread of the week good seed halo bagels what makes it a good seed to start 100 percent whole grains and omega-3s and it's certified organic what makes it a bagel well it's bagel shaped and you can put stuff on it like cream cheese it's a bagel dave's killer bread good seed halos they're bagels evolved 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, I'm in pain. Oh, sir, calm down and tell me what's happening.
2: Oh, God, it hurts like a bastard.
1: Sir, what's the
2: emergency? I Ping my shit on the damn coffee table again. Uh,
1: and you need medical attention for that?
2: Well, when I called, it was really, really hurting, but within the last 30 seconds or so, it's starting to feel better.
1: Sir, this line is for emergencies only. Ah, oh, Sure, I'm
2: going to have a bruisey there, though.
1: All right, sir, I'm disconnecting. 911, what's your emergency?
2: Yeah, I'm stuck. Okay, what's your location? I'm in my car. Oh, God, it's terrible. Just calm down, sir. Tell me what's happening. I'm pinned in here pretty good. Were you in an accident? No, I'm just trying to get out of my parallel parking spot. Oh, this damn Volkswagen, he really jammed me up good here. I don't even know if I can swing out of here.
1: I don't understand. You need the police? Well,
2: you should see how close this guy is. I mean, I don't got power steering. It's going to be really tough for me to get out. Sir, at.
1: I'm not sure what you think I can Could do. Can you send
2: over some cops or somebody to help wave me out? I don't want to clip this guy's bumper.
1: You know, it's a crime to call 911 unless it's a real emergency. Okay,
2: there it goes. There it goes. Well, I thought I was going to be there about five minutes. Thanks for your help.
1: Ugh. 911, what's your emergency? Uh,
3: yeah, I'm at Starbucks, and I can't get on the Wi-Fi. It just keeps saying connecting, but it hasn't said connected. Um, could you send somebody over here? Inability to get on the Internet oh, but is i not- got to send an email to my kid's father about T-shirts for next Tuesday. Do
1: not call this number unless you're in trouble. Oh, but I'm in totes trouble. <laughs> I am hanging up. Oh,
3: uh, no, wait. Um, can you get a cop over here and fire the barista who screwed up my order? I mean, I am pretty sure I asked for extra hot... And this is like mostly hot enough. These
1: on emergencies, you're tying up the line. Jeez, where's the fire, lady? Oh. Nine one one. What's your emergency?
2: Yeah, Cheers was supposed to come on after the local news, but uh, yeah, it's not on. Not an emergency. It is an emergency. The station is screwing up Cheers. <laughs> it was supposed to be that one episode where Sam and Diane have sexual tension.
1: You know what? Hang up, or I'm sending someone over to arrest you.
2: Oh, wait, there it is. Uh, I guess I got the wrong channel. Uh.
1: 911, what's your emergency? I'm flipping out here. I don't know what to do. Okay, just calm down, sir, and explain the
2: situation. These people, they just keep calling 911 for no reason. I think I'm going crazy.
1: Kevin, is that you?
2: Uh, Oh, hey, yeah. Uh, What's up,
1: Jeanette? Uh, Are you at work?
2: Yeah, I'm at work. Uh, Go ahead and stand up for a second. Okay. Uh, Yeah, there you are. Hey! Uh,
1: Yeah, listen, Kevin, I know it's irritating, but you can't just use this line to complain about callers. These
2: people, Jeanette. They think we're some type of search engine personal secretary hybrid, like Ask Jeeves merged with their dad or something. I don't know. I just got a call from a woman who, who didn't like her haircut. She said they screwed up her bangs.
1: Okay, Kevin, I think you're just overstressed. Just tell Mr. Devons you're sick and just go home. You know, maybe tomorrow you feel better.
2: Yeah, yeah you're right, Jeanette. Uh, can you call me an ambulance? My car is still in the shop. Yeah, no.
1: I <laughs> was Trisha Ferguson, Sean McGrath, and Andrew Harris with sound effects by David Ian. You're listening to Livewire, the radio show for people who, when buying underwear, always choose the variety pack. Coming up on the show, expert winemaker Rollin Soles, professional nonconformist Chris Gillibo, poet Scott Poole, and more from Viva Voce. We'll be right back. So, why do we toast with champagne to celebrate? What differentiates champagne from sparkling wine? And on the day after ingesting too much champagne, where is the best place to look for one's missing thong? Those are just some of the questions we have for Rollin' Souls. Rollin' is the co-owner and winemaker for Argyle, a winery in the Willamette Valley of Oregon that's been producing méthode champanoise, sparkling wine, since 1987. During that time, his wines have been ranked in Wine Spectator's Top 100 Wines of the World 11 times. To talk champagne in this season of celebration, please welcome Rollin' Souls to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Rollin.
5: Thank you. It's an honor uh, uh, to be out here. It's cool.
1: Good. I'm so glad. Well, it's great to have you. Um, So the first question that I had is really just why champagne? What's the history of (laughs) champagne, and and why is it our chosen beverage to toast when we're celebrating?
5: Uh, You know, one thing that uh, struck me is in the show having Viva Voce. Look at uh, it's the male and female interaction type deal going on there and it's right. pretty special isn't it
1: yeah absolutely and, and,
5: and sparkling wine the best sparkling wines have pinot noir which is associated with masculine qualities chardonnay associated with feminine qualities mm-hmm. and it's the only beverage i know besides a musical duet where you put those two together and it's and it's a wonderful thing
1: yeah <laughs> that's very sweet um, I heard some crap about the French aristocracy or something but I like that better
4: yeah.
1: so what is it exactly that makes champagne champagne that differentiates it
5: uh, you know uh, in the world you look for a lot of inspirations uh, for your craft if you're, if you're really an artisan one of my uh, latest um, uh, inspirations has been Henry David Thoreau, believe it or not. Wow. In fact, I think they uh, reported not long ago that they found some old champagne in the bottom of Walden Pond. Mm-hmm. Isn't that bizarre? Uh, but, the, but the guy, uh, he uh, went around tasting apples all over the place, and he would taste these apples that are really tart. And, and I make wine that comes from grapes that are really tart as well. And one of my favorite uh, aha moments for making uh, sparkling wine was, uh, how do you take, in, in Henry David Thoreau's words, uh, you know, it's so sour that it would put a squirrel's teeth on edge. <laughs> and that's what I deal with on a day-to-day basis. And that's why every night I go to bed and it's just like, it just destroys me. And, and then we transform it into this beverage that's like, you know, a duet. Male and female, sweet. And it, and it's, and it's, you actually
1: turn it, this hour into and it's, sweet, and
5: it's gorgeous, right? You know, you're looking gorgeous tonight too. I, I have to say. Uh, and, don't
1: try to change the subject. Um, I asked you what made champagne yeah. champagne.
5: Uh, well, you know, uh, there, I, I don't know if there's like um, math. Although, thank you. Perhaps, we're 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 in Portland, and so it's quite possible we have some like astrophysicists out there, or mm-hmm. mathematicians, and. And, you know, another inspiration, uh, for life is, um, uh,
1: uh to answer the question. It's Edward. Answer the question. I'm getting there. I, okay. I,
5: it's, it's a, it's a complicated enigma within a, uh-huh. you know, uh, deal. Um, it's, yeah, I kind of forgot the question. Uh the, uh. But no, no, wait, wait, wait. This is really good. Okay. This is really good. We're, we're in the heart of, you know, uh, the Willamette Valley and all that kind of stuff. And, and one of the inspirations, I would guess that most of us, Edward Abbey. It, reading Edward Abbey is, uh, I just love reading Edward Abbey. And the guy, the guy was talking about infinity one time. And he said the only way to contemplate infinity is to think about the ignorance of humankind. I thought that's pretty cool. But, you know, that's so, that's so negative. But that's, that, no, no, that's so negative. Right. And so another way to think about infinity is you get a beautiful bottle of sparkling wine. And yes, you, and there.
1: You, that's where, that the, is where we are going uh, with this.
5: And, and you got that, you got that, you know, that flute-looking glass.
1: Yes. And
5: you've got all those itty-bitty bubbles coming out of there. Which,
1: and there's, there's different know. sizes of bubbles, And right? hopefully
5: there's masculine and feminine there as well.
1: <laughs> well, and it tends to lead to connections and, between men and, and women.
5: And the, to, Let's just say, uh-huh. though,
1: hypothetically, yep. I'm just going to stop you there. Hypothetically, <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: I am contemplating infinity... At the grocery store, and I'm trying to choose a champagne
5: <laughs>
1: because that's what I'm—that's what I'm thinking about.
5: It doesn't come in a can.
1: It doesn't come in a can. Right. I actually did have a champagne out of a can at a bar recently because I'm classy like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, is it possible to ever have a good-tasting champagne out of a can?
5: Uh,
1: no. Okay. I'm I'm just, I'm making sure. But you actually, you have, uh, it's oddly you don't have a degree in philosophy. Uh, It is. Yeah, (laughs)
5: yeah, it's true.
1: You studied microbiology.
5: Uh, I I did. I'm into like little things. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Little bubbles. Yeah. Right, right.
5: Uh, The tinier, the better.
1: Right. Generally. So, uh, how yeah. does how does a background in microbiology make one more ma- make it easier for you to to make um, champagne?
5: I don't know. I had to uh, uh, I had to think about that because you know the the world's smallest winemakers are those little yeasts.
1: The little yeasts that that and turn into champagne. And they're
5: cute. Uh, they all look they the same. They are cute. They look a lot alike. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. Yeah.
1: What does the difference in bubble size mean? Like, if I'm looking at the bubbles in a glass of champagne, do I want the bubbles to be big or do I want them to be small? Oh
5: man, the tiny is the best because, as you're contemplating infinity, (laughs) those little bubbles go on and on and on. That's true. It's 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 just a wonderful thing.
1: (laughs) How? Just hypothetically, if we were talking about champagne, how would it affect the flavor if the bubbles were bigger or smaller?
5: Oh, my God. It, you know, it, it's, so, um, you're, uh, it's a very special night. And
1: I got the only champagne expert in the world who you... doesn't really want to talk about champagne.
5: Yeah. You, know
1: what? you know what, no, it's romantic yeah. Let's just talk about yeah. ladies and dudes So you, one of the things That, that you're going to be doing with us tonight Is you're going you're gonna to be demonstrating The sounds that different kinds of disgorging Make
5: uh, We can do that, that would, would be fun <laughs> That
1: would be fun
5: yeah.
1: um, So, so what order do you want to do these in? There's three, right?
5: Uh, let, let's do the saber
1: Okay. That, that,
5: that's the best what, you, know, you, you probably don't want to try this at home uh, Unless you're, you know, had a big night, so you you, you, you take the bottle and you um, take the uh, cage off. That little. You take the cage off. The, cage. Yeah, the cage is what's yep. what's covering. The I cork. know why the cage, champagne cork. sings. Exactly. Remember that book? That was a good book.
1: <laughs> it was Maya Angelou wrote that. Yeah, she so. was drunk at the time, yeah. <laughs> of course.
5: Yeah. And so. Um, there's a seam on every bottle where uh, you watch the seam and it comes up to a little tea. Shoot it, shoot it out to the audience. It's a bit like SeaWorld.
1: <laughs> or a Gallagher show, but classier. So what, what we're doing is we're taking the back of the knife and we're sliding it up, the bottle of champagne, yep. and, and, just really and just whacking, whacking the, the crap right. out of it. Ready?
2: Holding
4: itself. <laughs>
1: Of the bottle came off. The entire, including the glass.
5: Did I get y'all?
1: Somebody in the audience got it?
5: It's, it's all on the wrist.
1: Did we put an eye out? I Isn't not. that fun? So, yeah. Okay, it, so that's one way to do it. So
5: that's infinity. <laughs> I like that. So, uh, yeah, in champagne uh, dumb, what makes it so cool is that you ferment it in the bottle, you, you ferment. The, uh, in the bottle, and, and you have a bo- uh, top on it, you know, right? Like a,
1: like
5: a beer. This, yeah, top. it looks like
1: a twist off top on this bottle.
5: And, you know what really drives me nuts about um, society?
3: <laughs>
5: is, <laughs> what is it? Is, is that is that we're you know we'll, we're happy to drink beer that's cloudy with yeast in it, aren't we? Sure. But oh my God, imagine if we did that with champagne. So we have to uh, take the yeast out. For all these bleeding heart, you know, <laughs> crybabies out there, <laughs> and this is and this is how one way that we can do it. So we have a reverse uh, bottle uh, opening tool. And so this is this is like a hundred year old tool. Oh,
1: excellent! Yeah, it's beautiful old tool. It's, it's so, very
5: so Courtney, if you don't mind, uh, you, uh, you, if try. you would like, there's only three things you got to remember. You flip the top off. You point. You're pointing it down. Okay. Because you want the yeast to blow into this little bucket. Okay. And then, but at the same time, your thumb goes over the top, and you lift it up to a forty-five degree angle, because you should always open up great champagne at a forty-five degree angle. All right, it, it, it's going to make a kind of a gushing sound, and I'm sorry about you guys up there. That's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, you just had
1: to immediately put your thumb on it just to stop it from to stop anything else from escaping. But a nice big, just uh-huh. wave of champagne came out uh-huh. and it hit my legs and it was refreshing. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and so what this is now is a, a sparkling wine um, with the yeast taken out of it. And Sans it's, yeast. And it's very good. <laughs> oh. Well, May, wait? May wait? we?
1: We're going to enjoy it, and um, we appreciate your coming by and talking champagne and philosophy with us. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Rollin Souls of Argyle Winery. Thank you. That was Roland Souls of Argyle Winery, and you're listening to Livewire Radio. If you live in the Portland area, please join us for our holiday show on December 17th when we welcome guests Lemony Snicket writer Daniel Handler, Emmy Award winning television writer Meryl Marco, musical guests from Anna The Lonely Forest, and others. That's December 17th. More information at livewireradio.org. Tonight, our show features famous nonconformist Chris Gillibo. But what of the not so famous nonconformists? We did some research and discovered that there are perhaps millions of different kinds of nonconformist, but the rarest of all, the underground nonconformist. These unlikely rebels refuse to be defined by a label, and in fact, when you meet them, you don't initially see their unconventional ways. Meet Earl Blarf.
2: Uh, not sure if you can see it here on this paper, but this is this year's P&L sheet. And if you look at the payroll column, well, <laughs> this is supposed to be green. I chose a particularly vibrant teal. Hmm. Oh.
1: Uh, any repercussions? Well,
2: sure. Mr. Wales called me into his office and asked if there was something wrong with the printer because the color seemed slightly off.
1: And, and what did you say?
2: Well, I told him, there's nothing wrong with the printer, sir. What you are witnessing there is the proud flying of my freak flag.
1: And, and h- how did he respond to that?
2: Oh, well. Pretty bad. No, he just said, oh, well.
1: Char Stemphill lets her freak flag fly gastronomically.
3: I go to the Eye of the Eagle Baptist Church down there on 2nd, and last week at the potluck, Stacey Wells said I was responsible for a hot, sad dish. So what did you bring? I brought my famous frosted lemon jello salad is what I brought. Don't try to box me into a 9 by 13 Pyrex casserole dish. I'm a larger lady and people love my jigglers. So back off.
1: And Wendell Fleener marches to the beat of a different drummer.
2: Yeah, I play the tuba here at the Pine Meadow Community College Marching Band. And uh, I wear my headphones so I can hear Wegar St. Bane's 1998 snare performance of She's Got Legs when we play it. So,
1: So, do people notice?
2: No, it's the exact same beat, really. You know, just a different drummer.
1: Underground nonconformists. These are the unsung heroes of the nonconformist movement. And they may very well be living amongst you. You'll just never, ever figure it out. <laughs> On his 1978 live record, A Wild and Crazy Guy, comic Steve Martin illustrated just one of the issues one runs into when teaching people to be nonconformists.
6: Okay, Let's repeat the non conformist oath. I promise to be different. I promise to be be unique. I promise promise not to repeat things other people say.
1: (laughs) But even though it's hard, our next guest, Chris Gillibo, is tackling it. With his online manifesto, A Brief Guide to World Domination, and his new book, The Art of Nonconformity, Chris is hoping to create a small army of travel hackers, thriving artists, and the creatively self-employed. As for himself, he is the ultimate travel hacker. Last month's Cuba visit means he only has 19 countries left in his quest to visit every country in the world. Please welcome author Chris Guillebeau to (laughs) LiveWire. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, the book is The Art of Nonconformity, Set Your Own Rules, Live the Life You Want, and Change the World. In what way have you done those things in your own life?
6: Well, it, uh, it depends on where you want to pick it up. Um, I began by stealing cars as a juvenile delinquent. Wow, really? In a really? high school dropout, so that didn't work out so well. Um, and eventually it became, it kind of turned into a more positive thing a bit later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you've, you've essentially just figured out a way to, to make your life exactly sort of what you want it to be. Um, and, and one of the messages of the book is you don't have to live your life the way other people expect you to. So when was it in your life that you actually learned that lesson?
6: You know, probably the the most positive thing for me came out of a, a difficult situation. Um, after 9-11, I was depressed, like a lot of other people were. And my wife, Julie, and I We're just trying to find our place in the world and, you know, what are we doing and how can we help people, hopefully. And it was out of that experience that we moved to West Africa for about four years and we were volunteering for a charity over there. And we just found it fascinating and it kind of shaped a lot of, you know, our worldview and what we think about things and and what we want in life as well.
1: So when you made the decision that that was something that you wanted to do, you had to figure out a way to actually create a life where it was possible for you to do those things.
6: Sure. And it it kind of helped that I wasn't a very good employee. I kept getting fired from (laughs) jobs. Um, In what
1: ways were you not good?
6: Well, you know, I have this whole thing about being uh, self-employed for life. Um, But the original motivation was that I just... I wasn't good at working for someone else, basically. So I kept getting fired from a series of jobs or not showing up. You know, no calls, nothing like that. Um, And so I had to kind of find a way to, you know, to make a living, to support myself and, uh, and to do the things I wanted. So I played music for a while... You know, I did things uh, on the internet, I did eBay, I learned about, um, you know, online writing, all this kind of stuff, but it was all, like, motivated by the question, how can I work for myself so that I can find a way to do what I, what I really want to do?
1: Yeah. Well, in one of the first lessons in the book, and I, I was wanting you to, to read, um, to read, it's just a, a series of, it's the, it's the 11 ways to be unremarkably average, um, to kind of let people know, you, you know, what not to do initially. Sure.
6: So, 11 ways to be unremarkably average. Accept what people tell you at face value. Don't question authority. Go to college because you're supposed to, not because you want to learn something. Go overseas once or twice in your life to somewhere safe like England. (laughs) Don't try to learn another language because everyone else will eventually learn English. (laughs) Think about starting your own business, but never do it. Think about writing a book but never do it, get the largest mortgage you qualify for and spend 30 years paying for it, (laughs) sit at a desk 40 hours a week for an average of 10 hours of productive work, don't stand out or draw attention to yourself, jump through hoops, check off boxes.
1: So, um, yeah, it's a... First of all, don't knock thinking about writing a book, but never doing it. Um, <laughs> all the cool kids are doing that. But, but I did, as I was reading it, I thought, wow, I'm doing six or seven of these. So, how do you, if you recognize, okay, I've got all these issues, where do you begin?
4: Sure.
6: I think it's important to say that, you know, probably all of us at different points in our lives, we have accepted mediocrity or we, we have accepted doing things a certain way because that's what everybody else has done and that's, that's all that we know. And so, I think probably the first thing, you know, accept what people tell you at, at face value. That's probably the most important thing. And so if you start by you know, questioning motivations and questioning what people tell you and questioning you know, the prevailing norms and prevailing practices and, and start thinking, you know, do I really need uh, you know, a degree to do what I want to do with my life, whether it's a graduate degree, undergraduate degree or whatever? Um, do I really need to sit at that desk you know, for 40 hours a week if I'm being judged on you know, what I'm delivering? Um, is it true that only rich people can travel? You know, if I don't have a lot of money, isn't there a way I can still see the world or do something? And so I think that's probably the, the most important thing is, is thinking about motivations and then figuring out, okay, what do you want and how can you find a way to make that happen?
1: Which is definitely what you did. Um, and, and it was, you, you were living a comfortable life. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you tell a great story just about, about how you weren't necessarily afraid of going to Africa. Um, some of the fears were just, you know, uh, okay, h- how do I stop the mail for long enough? And, exactly.
6: You know? <laughs> I was afraid of packing up my dishes, you know? When we thought about, like, moving overseas, like, that's, like, it's an exciting thing, right? It's the small things that are scary, yeah. you know? It's exactly what you said, like, how do I stop the mail? What do I put my stuff? You know, what do I, how do I close these parts of my life and open up other parts of my life? You know, those, that's where where the fear comes in, but I really feel like um, there's this whole culture of fearlessness, you know, and it's kind of like the Mountain Dew commercial. It's like, you should just jump off that cliff and go for it, and that's fine, but I think uh, most of us really do have those very real fears about, like, if I do this, you know, what's going to happen and yeah. all of that, and so I think it's better just to kind of embrace that and make that part of what you're doing.
1: You have a great Poe Bronson quote in the book, the absence of fear is not courage, the absence of fear is mental illness. Um. LAUGHTER and, and I loved that. And, and you, you told a story about accepting fear mm-hmm. and kind of moving past it. But how did you do that? How did you move, move past that fear of change well, for I don't yourself? Think I've,
6: I don't think I've really moved past it. I don't know if any of us ever like, completely moved past it. I guess what I learned to do and what, what I've heard from many other people as they pursue their own you know, unconventional life is that they stop letting fear make their decisions for them. So they say, okay, you know, I'm going to accept that this thing really scares the hell out of me. But, you know, am I going to be a better person for going through it? You know, am I going to be a better person if I really do that? Is this really what I want? Then I'm just going to do it anyway, you know? Yeah. And you find strength in that. It's not in, it's not in, like, facing down the fear. It's not in, like, yes, I'm fearless. It's more like just kind of walking through it. Yeah. And like I say, you know, we're often afraid of the... We're, we, we're often not afraid of the direct thing, but the indirect things.
1: Indirect things like...
6: You know, you know, like, people ask me about traveling the world. I'm not really... You know, I've traveled quite a bit. I'm not really afraid of the travel itself, Um, But, you know, to come out here tonight, you know, on this stage is quite frightening for me, but I just do it anyway
1: That's great. You're doing really well.
6: Well, thanks. (laughs) I didn't bring any champagne with me. I wish I had Yeah,
1: well, you wouldn't talk about it if you brought it anyway (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, why did you decide to do this, to try to visit every country in the world?
6: Uh, eventually, it became kind of a compulsion after, I start, after I'd been traveling for a while. i traveled for maybe you know, four or five years, um, working overseas for quite a bit. I realized I had been to about 50 countries, and so it started with a goal to visit 100 countries. I was thinking like, okay, what would it take you know, to visit 100 countries? You know, it's a question of time, a question of money and commitment, and started working towards that. And As I got closer to it, I realized that it was a relatively easy goal because you could pick and choose your countries uh-huh right um and so you could only go to easy countries if you wanted um and so you've got u.s canada australia you know etc um and so i decided why not just you know go a bit further so i really like travel and i really like goal setting so i kind of put those two together
1: <laughs> well it, you're doing well you have 19 left to go mm-hmm. you were at cuba last mm-hmm. last right? weekend yeah yeah, yeah. For the first time right
6: mm-hmm. yeah it was great it's fun
1: you, you talk in the book about um, a legacy and thinking about your legacy as you're thinking about the work that you do. Hmm. What do you want your legacy to be?
6: Hmm. Well, I think, you know, first, the word legacy. When I, when I use that word, you know, a lot of people think of legacy as having something to do with money or something to do with career or something that involves, like, looking back at the end of life, you know, what am, what am I passing on? But the problem with that concept is, you know, if we look back at the end of life, we can't really make a lot of changes, Um, And so a lot of what I talk about with The Art of Nonconformity is um, thinking of legacy as a question of influence and a question of impact, uh, you know, at whatever point in our life we are. And so, um, you know, I like to think about the questions, what do you really want to get out of life? And what can you offer the world that no one else can? Uh, And so what I'm trying to do with The Art of Nonconformity is to help people think differently about living unconventionally um, and pursuing their own dream, whatever it is. You know, most people don't want to visit every country in the world. Um, but whatever it is they want to do and hopefully connecting that you know with some kind of service connection and with some kind of you know something that benefits others as well
1: well the book is wonderful the book is the art of nonconformity the author is chris gillibo thanks so much for joining us
6: thank you
4: <laughs> <laughs> Listening
1: to Livewire, the radio variety show for people who enjoy pleasant experiences. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Three, four. to livewire
3: hey uh god god yeah Uh, sorry to bother you uh are you busy
2: I'm always busy, Carol. What is it?
3: Oh, I know. Uh, listen, I-, I know you're omniscient and everything, but I just wanted to go over your to-do list for the week.
2: <sighs> Carol, I know everything. Okay? You do,
3: you do, but sometimes you forget. Remember what happened last year when you took that unplanned nap?
2: Glee won a Golden Globe Award.
3: Glee won a Golden Globe.
2: <laughs> oh, Jesus, I hate that show. Yo! <laughs> ah, uh, no, sorry, Jesus. We were just, just talking about Glee over here. God, I hate that show. Me too. Listen, if you're going to be in the den, son, would you clean up after yourself? It's not a GD playground in there. And do not touch my computer. This house is my kingdom. Uh, your kingdom is your kingdom. Hey, smart aleck, get out of here, please. All right, lates. Oh, and Jesus, two words, haircut. <laughs> okay, um,
3: haircut is one word.
2: Oh, is it, Carol? Not anymore.
3: <laughs> All righty. Okay, uh, sir, can we just go over your week? Oh,
2: sure, whatever.
3: Okay, um, Sunday, you've got a lot of places to be. No,
2: right? Omnipresence is awesome. I'm skiing in Stade as we're talking. Yeah,
3: I wish you wouldn't do that, sir. Well,
2: I got to. This is boring, Carol. I need some kind of stimulation.
3: Yeah, well, you're also orchestrating that coup in Liechtenstein, and you really should concentrate.
2: Oh, please. It's just Liechtenstein. Who gives a crap? Oh, sir. Seriously, you know what their largest export is? No. Dental products. I mean, come on, snore.
3: Okay. Okay, uh, can we get back to the list?
2: Uh, Fine. Can I have a donut, though?
3: Um, Of course you can. You can have whatever you want. Donuts (laughs) Donuts <laughs> never gets old. Never
2: gets old, doesn't it?
3: <laughs> okay. Um. Football season is in full swing, so uh, you're gonna have to make some tough decisions.
2: Right. Uh, Bills, Chiefs. Bills. Hey, what's in this donut? Is this just is raspberry creme? Okay. Um. Jets, Broncos. Jets in overtime. Seriously, whoever made this donut, can we give them like a Grammy or something?
3: Yeah. Well, that would be complicated. Nothing sir. big, Sorry,
2: just like best new age country and western or something.
3: Yeah, uh, that's not even a category. Oh, sir. isn't it? <laughs> Hey, are you just gonna do that, like, whenever you're wrong about something? Oh, I don't
2: know, Carol. Am I?
3: Okay. What did you just change right then? Oh,
2: I don't even know. I hope it wasn't anything big.
3: Okay, me neither. Um, let's see. Eagles, uh, Seahawks?
2: Uh, Eagles, but here's what's up. Double overtime, and Deshaun Jackson corners it in the end zone. Nobody knows if he made it. Then they see on instant replay that both toes were down. Touchdown all righty now this is important carol getting thanked on a monday night when abc is a 70 percent market share it's no small potatoes oh
3: i know pr
2: see this is what i like really good coverage on the sprinkles would you look at this mm. oh and i wanted to run something by you it's a new weather thing i'm cooking up it's like a tornado but it's in the water
3: uh, like a waterspout.
2: oh right i already thought of everything
3: Mm. Yeah, kinda.
2: Okay, well, Carol, I'm gonna play some solitaire now, if that's cool.
3: Okay, well, I'll, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just type it up and put the rest in an email. Okay, and before
2: you know, uh, I gotta put in a quick dinner order with you.
3: Oh, uh, let me guess.
2: Sprinkles. Yeah, okay, whatever. All sprinkles. Okay, whatever. Oh, uh, Carol.
3: D- yes?
4: Sprinkles. Mm. It's Trisha
1: Ferguson, Sean McGrath, and Andrew Harris. Sound effects by David Ian. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Viva Voce.
4: (laughs) Won't you let me walk you home? You let me meet you at the pool. Maybe Friday I can get tickets for the dance. Tell your dad to get off my back Tell him what we said about painted black Rock and
2: roll is here to stay Come inside
4: where it's okay Oh, shit. If it's so then let me know if it's no that I can go I won't make.
1: Promised to sum it all up for us with a poem that he just finished writing about 26 to 27 seconds ago. Please welcome poet Scott Poole.
7: What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. The thing I learned tonight is that I want a suit made of meatloaf, steamy hot meatloaf with ketchup buttons. There is nothing to be alarmed about, this is just part of my nonconformity. I don't really want to wear it, I guess I just want to serve it bravely to a group of elegant guests like Ronnie James Dio or Louis J Sex Pistols at an elegant dinner party while I'm nude except for a bottle of strategically placed champagne. Oh, what a great revenge it would be to watch Ronnie James Dio squirm, wondering whether I'm going to wear the meatloaf monstrosity or if the guests are going to have to consume it while I gaze at them like a deformed god with a forgetful nature. And although they would look at me worried, I would say there is no need to run screaming. This is just part of my nonconformity. And although my guests may want to play their own music, I will serve the music of Viva Voce instead, like an exotic salad. An exotic salad containing cured meat like a sweet celebration at a deli elegantly displayed on a bed of fronds from a banana tree that takes up the entire width of the table while little butterflies fly over it, redistributing the croutons so they don't all gang up on one side <laughs> of the plate. God, don't you hate that? And some of you may say that is cruel to enslave butterflies for your personal dietary enjoyment but i say stay your judgment ronnie james dios of the world it's not fly covered butter it's the flapping wings of nonconformity but if the evening needed a bit more of a convincing display of my nonconformity i would just serve some champagne i would just open it with a giant carving knife because that's the non-conform-like way to do it. It's like a duet of punk rock and hair bands. It's like discovering Albert Einstein dancing around on a dance floor of the infinite bubbles on the bottom of your glass trying to write on each bubble with a piece of chalk, E equals MC square. Right, Ronnie? Wait, Ronnie, wait. Where are you going in your minivan? Thank you.
1: Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. guests tonight, Wallen Souls, Chris Guillebeau, and Viva Voce. The mutton chops are Jim Brunberg, Paul Evans, and Jonathan Newsom. Tonight's show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and Burgerville, introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music for Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for radio theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Andrew Harris and Tricia Ferguson, with sound effects by David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, house poet Scott Poole, and Ted Douglas. Faces for radio theater is directed by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom. Recording engineer is Malene Silva, and house sound by Scott McLeod. Production management by Graham Nystrom. Thank you to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Bondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Our show photographer is Jenny Baker. LiveWire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about LiveWire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit LiveWireRadio.org.
0: Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of LiveWire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the LiveWire podcast feed